The Incomparable Podcast Number 6, September 2010. We're back on the Incomparable Podcast. I'm Jason Snell. The topic today is Comic Book Club. Yay! And joining me are the fellow members of the Comic Book Club, Jason Brightman. Hey. And Lisa Schmeiser. Hello. All right. So we're back. We managed to make it to a second one. That is always a good milestone. That's right. We're doubling. It's easy to do one. Output. It's like the first annual. Now it's right? a recurring feature. It is. <laughs> we are now we are now recurring. Right. Mm-hmm. Although uh, it really issue two sales drop. Well, yeah. The, after after an issue one, that's the sophomore slump. But you figure it? after five or six podcasts, we can release the trade version of the podcast where it's all bound together in one long conversation. All right. right. We can, we can stitch good. in some of the um, stuff we cut. Mm-hmm. out of the podcast because it wasn't worth listening to and we can stick it in the end and call it added value and charge you more for it. <laughs> right. It's so who's going to write the introduction feature. or give us the introduction? We've got to get a celebrity to do that for a us. Read it. Yes, a celebrity. No, it'll just be one of the other people mm-hmm. from one of the other episodes yeah. of The Incomparable. We'll just have you know Dan Morin will read a little introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted to be on this, but it just never worked out. I enjoy right. listening to The Incomparable's <laughs> comic book co- podcast, <laughs> although I am not a member. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, yeah. welcome. Thanks for coming in. We are all present in person, which is – I know it will shock the listeners to know not always the case when we record these podcasts. Many, many times we have to uh, keep people locked in their little homes and, mm-hmm. and use the internet. To well, I'm going to have to Skype in in a few months, I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I was, there's a, there is a, a young uh, future comic book reader on mm-hmm. the way. Yep. So, so that will be a challenge. We, we, I was going to say we should uh, – Get a, a couple of these in the can before you yeah. go on on maternity leave, so yeah. that we can. Uh, no, no, Lisa's still reading comics. Sure, yes, all <laughs> all timely references have been removed, but. <laughs> uh, so I just read this apocalypse plotline in X Men. Right. What is that about? That's right. Is Kitty Pride going to stay with the X Men? Yeah. Is that going to happen? Or? Right. Well, the great thing about comics yeah. is they recycle the same story every decade or so. This so you yeah. still be very timely. Yes. Exactly. Oh, good. Cables on the rise. <laughs> <laughs> It all comes around again. Mm-hmm. I, I, yep. uh, so to start out, I thought we would talk about TV. I know this is not the TV podcast. It is the comic book club. But the worlds of TV and movies and comic books are colliding. In fact, some might say that the comic book industry is rapidly becoming an R&D lab for the um, movie and TV industry and that the publishing aspect of it is more of an adjunct and a, and a little niche product uh, where the, the main business – and I don't think this is unreasonable to say this, that the main business of comic book publishing is coming up with properties and storylines create licensable properties. Yeah, cre- creating – I mean why did yeah. Disney buy Marvel? It's, right. you, you, they wanted these, these characters and they've got more storylines that they can work into TV shows and they can work into movies. Well, and, and I know this is going to be painful, but the truth is there's no money in publishing. What? <laughs> there was a Thank blog goodness. post on the beat today that was taking a look at the salary breakdowns, and they're currently paying editors about thirty to forty-five thousand dollars. See, and it, it, they're paying community managers twice that. So. Right, and that's actually the shocking thing about the mm-hmm. comic companies is how mm-hmm. little these people are paid, oh, yeah. and the, the, it's partially because it's such a fan audience that even if any of these editors complained and was like, oh, I need more money and left. You should like, be lucky you've right. got the job. Yeah, but there's also like 30 other people who would want to – who would yeah. kill to be in that mm-hmm. seat. The argument would be most of them can't actually do the job, but some yeah. of them can. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, well, that's yeah. that's the trouble. story of being in the media, right? That's the story yeah. of being a writer or an editor, especially a writer. It's like, oh, everybody's a writer. Everybody is willing to be a writer. and They may not be good at their job. They may be. You, d- you just don't know. But there's a large pool of talent out there. That, yep. And if they don't make headaches for their boss, they will get hired. So. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but I always thought that there was a kind of natural affinity between comics and television because both of them tend to rely on very episodic storytelling. Where even if you have self-contained issues or self-contained episodes of a, of a TV show, both comics and TV reward you sticking with it in the long term and, and having these serialized, regularly scheduled investments in your time and energy. So it's kind of a natural shift to say I, I go from reading Walking Dead once a month to watching an episode uh, it, of it once it, a week on TV. You interestingly, know? I think that's kind of switched in a way in that mm-hmm. you know historically comics were that very serialistic thing and you could read – X-Men for 20 years and yeah. Chris Claremont may or may not have finished a plot line. <laughs> the, uh, where television yeah. uh, was – every they had like a reset switch at the end of every episode where 
it didn't matter if you missed a few because the characters really don't change. Yeah. And now television it really is doing that rewarding, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the last decade or so, where comics, on the other yeah. hand, have gone in the other direction because they're written for the trade. There doesn't seem to be those long, rewarding stories. And if you keep following it, they don't have those like, subtle, quiet moments anymore. So comics have almost become TV seasons, whereas TV seasons have almost become long-form comic books. Yeah. Well, they have come together. I yeah. think that's an, a good way of looking at it. Every TV episode mm. is self-contained, even mm. if – well, I mean there are a few examples like The Wire where you can watch an episode of The Wire. And, and I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast. Occasionally, an, a Wire episode just ends. And and my wife turns to me. We're watching the the wire. Um, we finished the third season now, and she'll say, "Oh, so that's where they end it this time, huh?" Because there is no ending. But most TV shows actually do have a beginning, middle, and an end of an episode yeah. inside a story arc, which is very much like a uh, a comic book that's got a story arc, but also has some amount of self contained right. because it has mm-hmm. to. Although look at any of the sort of modern comics being produced by Marvel or DC, and I would say ninety nine percent of the individual pamphlet issue comics. Comics don't have a beginning, middle, and end. It's just clearly this is the beginning of a six-issue story or right. the middle of a six-issue story. And those middle ones, like where nothing really happens, it's sort of, oh, they need to make the six issues for the trade. In some ways, you could view the trades as the TV episodes <laughs> as part of a larger right, and not yeah. in the arc. The, the, so, the monthly thing is more of your commercial break in the episode. You know what I miss huh. about the monthlies, though, is back in the 80s, they used to have callbacks to previous issues where you'd have somebody give some exposition and there'd be an asterisk and you'd say, see issue whatever. Oh, yeah, the footnotes. Right. Yeah, the footnotes. And those oh, were really super helpful because if you had just picked up an issue, you got a sense of where the story began or ended. And, and you got a sense this is a piece of a bigger universe that you could dive into. into. Yeah. And you could go to a comic book store and seek out that And that you don't get issue. that now. You see these tremendous promotional blitzes for things, but heaven help you if you don't pick up in the first uh, issue of that plot line because you're lost. Or if there are callbacks to previous runs or previous plot developments, there's never an asterisk that says, see, issues number X through Y. I looked through my New Mutants classic trades, and what's really kind of funny about those is they still have the footnotes in there that reference all of the other series that they were tied into at the time, too. So and, those, those are the that's the initial run of the New yeah, Mutants with yeah. the, the Sunspot, Cannonball, Magma. Uh, yeah, where, where, they, where they, they were basically, you know, Xavier's like, well, I have a bunch of guys that I lost in a cave. Let us hit the reboot switch. Right. Surely they'll never come back. <laughs> yeah. Let's hit the reboot the switch. Land or wherever they were. Right. Let's have, you know, let's have Kitty Pride interact with her peers and have it go badly. Oh, were they were in space with the Brood and the Starjammers, right? Wasn't that when, when they founded the New Mutants? Was that? Sorry. I'm you kidding. know, I can't remember if it's Lost in the Cave or right. in space with the New Mutants. No, it's in, it, they were in space with the Starjammers yeah. and the Brood because then they came, the X-Men came back and they fought for at least four panels with the New Mutants. Oh, Because right. the New Mutants didn't know who the X-Men were. Right. And there was a Brood hiding in one of the back back corridors cuz Kitty Pride had to fight it, it. it. that's was, right uh, Xavier yeah. yes oh good times. yeah and then right and Kitty's kicked Scott, out of the X-Men yeah Scott Summers father is around for a few episodes Professor Xavier and, yeah. is a jerk classic right. stuff but all interlocked and lots yeah. of footnotes because that was part of and it, it's actually looking back on that it's sort of sweet it's like yeah. they had two comics now they're like mm-hmm. hey i got an idea let's do a second comic that's set in more or less the same place and we'll refer back and forth and of course now yeah. you'll you end up with 10 that are all trying to do oh, that oh my god yeah it's no longer enjoyable. Well, I don't um, do those big events anymore because if I were a regular series reader, why would I want to invest extra time and money in picking up the, the variants and tie-ins? For example, say I'm still an X-Men reader, why would I also want to pick up the Avengers four-issue four miniseries on, on whatever the big event is, plus the Hulk, plus <laughs> the uh, Daredevil, the plus rant. Spider-Man, plus the Runaways, plus... You, forget it. No. Okay, so before we get too far off track, I want to bring, back, <laughs> I want to bring us back to TV. Uh, Marvel! We could, go, we could go on. Well, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. So so two, I think, bits of interesting TV news regarding comic adaptations for TV. And there, there are other directions we can take this conversation. Mm-hmm. For example, there are there's a comic book, at least one, maybe two comic-like uh, in terms of topic, new TV shows like right. No Ordinary Family with Michael yeah. Chiklis, which is sort of the Incredibles live yeah. action version the mixed with the greatest out. American hero and The Cape. Yeah. We also have some TV series that have turned into comics. You see that a little bit. I think the most interesting example for me is uh, Buffy Season 8 where you mm-hmm. actually had the creative team in large part of a TV series after after the show was ended continue it on. And there have been some other graphic novel continuations too. I believe Edward James Olmos has discovered that if he wants to tell the story of what happened to Commander Adama after the last episode of Battlestar Galactica, all he needs to do is talk to some website and say, graphic novel, and then magic things will happen. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I'm not sure that's such a great idea, but the, but the primary focus is The Walking Dead, which premieres on Halloween on AMC, an adaptation of Robert Kirkman's mm-hmm. excellent black and white comic book series. Excellent nightmare-inducing black and white. They'll never... It's a great story. Yeah, sorry. it's great, yeah. great for a... Re, issue 48 is great for the pregnant ladies. I... Uh, oh. oh. I read through... My, my brother had... <laughs> Ouch. My brother had collected most all, all of the trades up to November last year, and when I visited him for Thanksgiving, I read through them all in like a two-day stretch and then had nightmares for the next two nights just because I had mainlined this comic for two days oh, yeah. straight and couldn't get it out of my head. It was horrible. That's, that, uh, that's how I read yeah, yeah. I just bought. As well. I bought the. Uh, here's a tip for people who haven't gotten into The Walking Dead. If you want to take a chance, your best value is there's an the omnibus, omnibus that's yeah. A, yeah. A, a, a tome, and it's all 48 yeah. issues. The first 48 issues of the story with a very fitting and dark uh, <laughs> conclusion to right. the storyline at the end of it. And it's it's a it's like 20 bucks. It's it's yeah. really cheap for 48 issues of a comic, and, right. and it's great. You'll you get distracted by how he draws children, um, and you'll build that's my, only, that's my only complaint. Is is Charles? Charles Adler is the artist yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah, because I've I've always had a problem with how he draws kids. It's, he's got the proportions off there, almost like the middle age representation where it's shrunken adults. But uh, <laughs> once you can get, once you can get past that, you're you're like, oh wow, this is really great. Yeah, the. Uh, uh, just going on with that whole the omnibus for 48 issues, if you mm-hmm. don't per, like your comics as one giant telephone book-sized kind of edition. Seriously. They, uh, Big telephone right. book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kirkman is awesome in that they've released The Walking Dead in pretty much every format. Yes, you can get hardcover. You can get hardcovers that cover a year of the issue. So, in fact, that 48-issue thing, you can get as four hardcovers. Mm-hmm. Or you could get it as eight, eight trade paperbacks. Trades, yeah. Yeah. Or two, my personal favorite, the two absolute editions, which are sort of like the DC Absolute collections, where there are these oversized, almost 11 by 17, hardback, slipcase, $100, beautiful coffee table. They weigh a million pounds. Not really portable. Not portable, but an (laughs) awesome way to read it and experience because the art's so big. Yeah. I decided to go for the omnibus this time. So so AMC, the people who brought you such uh, heralded TV series as Mad Men Mm -hmm. and Breaking Bad, have committed to The Walking Dead as a series. Uh, rumor has it that they've even gone so far as to commit to a second season, although it, it may be that they're waiting for the ratings before they officially mm-hmm. greenlight it. I've seen conflicting reports there. But uh, it's a six-episode season, so it's pretty short. I think they, they were mm-hmm. you know, hesitant to, to do a, a long run. But the buzz is really good. As, as people who've read The Walking Dead, though, what do you think about the prospect of this as a series? Is this a, the right kind of graphic novel, comic series? They always, the marketing people, always mm-hmm. call it a graphic novel. I love that, too. It's a comic series. Come Reminds on. me of that Mystery Science Theater 3000 joke where, where he, it, I forget which robot it was that read them and he kept, it's a graphic novel. <laughs> That's right. It's not a comic book. Let's take it's it seriously. It's a graphic novel. It's a graphic novel. But regardless, what do you think about Walking Dead as a TV show instead of as a comic book series? I would say that Walking Dead is one of the the sort of comic properties that makes the most sense as a TV show. It is so episodic and so much about the development of these characters and you really get into sort of the characters' lives yes. and that scene when they first, after they've gone through so much trauma and stuff and they get to mm-hmm. that prison and they have that sort of relief of like, oh, oh we can be no. safe here. Oh, that prison Spoiler scene. Horn. Spoiler alert. Right. <laughs> the uh, but the they, prison they, sequence right. is, is like a high point in the series for me. When, when they, they come the, over the hill and there's the prison and they're oh. like, oh, we could be safe here. There's so, the big fences. Suddenly the, a prison the, is salvation. And the yeah. subs- well, the subsequent stories in it, it, it and it right. explores the, the meaning of what it really means to be incarcerated. Right. And, it's, it's not it's, a throwaway that they find a prison. No, right. it's, it's like amazing. When, when, when Kirkman takes them to the prison, you do get the sense that he's committed to exploring all of the variations of what does it mean to yeah. be setting up a civilization inside this prison instead of what you might get somewhere else, which is, oh, a prison, and then we were there for a couple issues, and then we left and went right. and moved on. And so as an know. Oz viewer, you know, I, the whole time I was I was reading through the prison issues, I was I was kind of thinking about Oz in the back of my head and the fact that you have these people who are civilians who all of a sudden move into the prison and they run into the cons and you think these are almost like two separate species of individual and how are they ever going to connect? How are they going to band together against a common enemy? If you mm-hmm. did The Walking Dead do. as a movie, mm-hmm. uh, it wouldn't to your point, well. it would be a no. zombie movie, right? right. It would just be – there would be an action arc and the, there would be some characters. And yeah. so I think that goes to the heart of what you say about yeah. it being appropriate as a TV show is it really is about characters right. and what happens to the characters and over none of a them period stay of time. The same. Right. right. And that's actually also what worries me a bit because yeah. one of the interesting things about Walking Dead is all the characters do develop. Characters that you love and invest time in, spoiler alert, 
they die. Oh yeah, um, lots of and, dead and, bodies. Right, and that they, you know, you get the sense after a little while that no one is safe. And when mm-hmm. you have a TV show with main actors and stars and secondary thing, you you, you always know that like, well, nothing really bad is going to happen. That's the main character of the show. Yeah. Where in the comic, <laughs> that's not true. No. Yeah. And so, how is that going to translate into television? Is it going to be you take the main character or one of the main characters and? Well, I, uh, you know, they're, they're not allowed on the show. They have the ability to do that because they've got the blueprint of the comic series. Yeah. They can say, hi, character, we're hiring you. Just so you know, yeah. you're going to get killed at the end of the second season. So right. it's a, we're going to just sign yeah. you for the first two and then you're gone or the first three and then you're gone. Right. The, it gives yeah. them that, that – um, they know where the story's going in a way that a uh, regular TV writer wouldn't. The, mm-hmm. the two things I'm really curious about are one, how are they going to handle the ceaseless tension – because if it's one thing that I think about with The Walking Dead, there's almost never any relief. Even when a plot arcs to a complete finish, you don't have that, oh, well, that's okay. And now they're off to new adventures. No, they're still stuck on a planet that's filled with zombies. And Right. Life is hard. Life is life is never going to get easier. It's it's a pretty grim series and it's not that funny and I worry. <laughs> no, and, and right. the, no, and the reason I say that is because yeah. when you have something that's unrelentingly tense, there, there's often a temptation to throw in some comic relief or something just so people laugh and get that right. tension release out. How are they going to handle this on TV where, where people actually do tune in for some sort of catharsis? Right. And that's, I, I think, some of the interesting stuff that happens in the book with what the characters go through and some of the way the characters hook up yeah. and all is about breaking that tension that they all feel. And as a reader, when you're reading this series, it's hard to put down because yeah. you feel that tension too. And, and you like, just want to ride it out to see where it's – the second thing I'm wondering about is it's an incredibly violent series. Just yes. just incredibly gruesomely violent. Mm-hmm. And how are they going to handle it when there are people – spoiler alert – when there are people using pli- pliers to pull the, the teeth out of the mouths of zombie children or gruesomely torturing folk or right. – Or just all the various gunplay that results in yeah. people's parts of the murder, suicide bodies yeah. blowing apart. Right, and, yeah. Or there was um, – oh, God, what is – I'm blanking here. Is it Sharon or Siobhan, the one who made it through to the prison by – Again, spoiler alert, by manacling some zombies to her and using them as 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 the shield, yeah, as, as a shield. Like how how do you swing that? And I, I hope though they don't use the comic as too much of a blueprint. Yeah. Use it as the basis, and mm-hmm. then do what works in TV in a way. And because they're different mediums, and the same storylines verbatim aren't going to translate well. Right. I, I think following the plot arc and saying, well, here's what's going to happen. They're going to, he's going to go into the, into the city. He's going to yeah. meet people. They're going to end up on this on the road. They're going to find a prison. There's going to be stuff in the prison. Yeah. There's going to be a – then there's going to be a community nearby because every post-apocalyptic story has that like Militaristic community, community that somehow that's run, springs into that's existence. run by a dictator. It right. always yeah. happens. And I was sort of sad when I saw that in The Walking Dead, but they handled it really well. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, so – and then and then you could go on from there and say, well, and then, and then down the road we'll talk about like taking another road trip and trying to find the source of yeah. You know, maybe how this happened or where the government is and all of that. Those points along the way are probably good to have, like I said, because yeah. it gives them an idea of direction. But the details, I think you're totally right. Yeah. The details need to happen in the context right. of a TV show. One thing I hope it doesn't become, though, you know, why did this happen? How did this happen? Let's try to solve that don't mystery. Solve the mystery. I right. like that we we're, don't know. In the comic, that's like mentioned maybe twice yeah. ever right. in just a couple Suffice of panels. So they're like, we're, we're a little busy trying not to be eaten. We really right. don't living, care what yeah. happens. And not even <laughs> not to be eaten is, but what are we going to eat? Yeah. And how do you go anywhere? Because the highways are all clogged with cars and now there's no gas. There's no working society There's anymore. no working and infrastructure. That's, right. Yeah. That's so interesting. And yeah. From a character standpoint, which is, again, the, the brilliance of, of Walking Dead is that it does what most zombie stories don't do, which is deal with these larger issues of how do we survive, can we survive, can we raise children mm-hmm. in this um, – at, at Comic-Con, uh, there was a panel of uh, teachers and librarians talking about using comics in classrooms. And one of the things that they talked about was using The Walking Dead with with teenagers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fifth grade. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, my God. You know, to talk about questions of culture. And, and mm-hmm. the question there was about zombie, post-zombie apocalypse culture and how characters in The Walking Dead are worried that their kids are going to grow up. Um, not just worried that their kids aren't going to grow up because they're going to get eaten by a zombie, but that they're going to grow up in a in a culture Cultureless. without knowing what all of the trappings of our previous culture were and, like, how do we keep the culture alive? Yeah. That is stuff that you just don't – as much fun as, as some kind of traditional zombie movies can be as action vehicles, mm-hmm. the fact is – 
there isn't a lot of time spent mourning for the dead culture and wondering how you can possibly survive in a world where all the cars are filling the, mm-hmm. the lanes of the highways and there's no gasoline and there's no food and there's nothing like that. And, and so to get to that and say, you know, this isn't just about surviving. It's also about uh, – or not just about killing zombies. It's also about like surviving in the long term and mm-hmm. how the heck do we do that and get along together. That's the mm-hmm. great thing about what yeah. Kirkman did. And that, that – I mean that's the core of drama, right? Right. And that's it's what a, works why it works for TV. There has yeah. been a future at stake. It's the you know, basic existential, like, will we be able to continue existing kind yeah. of core drama? And right. it's, it's there. Yeah, well, one of the genius things about The Walking Dead is it's basically the stand with zombies. Yeah. Because when you think about this, a lot, there's a remark. And without some of the mysticism. Without Randall Flagg. But yeah. there's, a, there, <laughs> no, there's a lot of this. If you, I went back and reread it um, on my last vacation, and there's just a lot of time that Stephen King actually devotes to talking about how lost people are when their infrastructure goes away, where yeah. there are people who have no idea how to get running well, water. Just, just, just look yeah. at New Orleans after yes. Katrina. Society's yeah, I mean, very fragile. Oh, yeah. First world Western society is really fragile. I, I, what I'd be curious about, and I, don't, <sighs> and I don't think they're ever going to do this in The Walking Dead because there's, there's how, how would you swing it? But I'd love to find out how, how in people... Africa, everybody is fine. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, they did that in Why the Last Man, remember? At the very yeah. end of... Again, spoiler, at the very end of it, you know, they're like, oh, it turns out the women on the plains of, of Africa were fine because they were already used to being hunters and gatherers. They just picked up and carried on. Now, it was, you know, the interdependent societies that were hosed. So Why the Last Man is going is in movie development, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I heard. See, movies, that, that, that's one I actually think would be better as a TV show. Well, isn't it true? I said this about Watchmen yeah. for, for a long time, and I mentioned this on our in our uh, movie podcast. Should have been a 12-issue H- HBO, HBO series, that mm-hmm. kind of thing where it's, you know, a 12 12- – Episode like a Band of Brothers event where it's it's one and done, you know. Yeah, and something like something self-contained, like why I could I, I could see again as a series because there's so much story there mm-hmm. that that um, you could tell it as a movie if you only took the first couple of trade paperbacks, maybe. Yeah. But then it's an unsatisfying but, but it, movie, right? And that's mm-hmm. why comics in general probably work better as a serialized TV show mm-hmm. than a two-hour movie. Because they're they're written with the same interstitial storytelling, right? Yeah. Or at least at least all these kind of good books from yeah. Kirkman or Vaughn that we're talking mm-hmm. about. Well, not to get back to uh, Buffy, which I mentioned earlier, but Joss Whedon has said on many occasions that Buffy, the Buffy TV series, and talk about your thing that worked better as a TV show than a movie, by the yeah. way, <laughs> is <laughs> really. Example. Is really his version of Spider-Man, yeah. except taking all the kind of superhero trappings away mm-hmm. and having it be this strong female character. But it is it is Peter Parker in in the high school uh, with all of the social complications plus superpowers, which makes it even more complicated. And and that's what why I love that show is because I always loved that aspect of the Spider-Man story. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and Buffy really is that. Now I know Marvel is talking about now that they're part of Disney making more comic based TV shows, and I suspect it's only a matter of time before we see the Peter Parker TV series. But isn't, aren't they doing the new Spider-Man film as sort of an ultimate Spider-Man yeah, film as opposed to it? Right. But it would work better as but a TV this show. this is my argument is you can look at something like Buffy and say, I think, I think Spider-Man or at least the – I guess Smallville would be the example, right? Where it's yeah. what if we took a, a, an iconic superhero and made his high school period the, the, um, the subject of a long-running TV show where you could really get into those issues. And Smallville has been on the air since the 40s, right, at this point. <laughs> Tom Welling has lost his teeth and it's very sad. But that, having only yeah. seen like one episode, that, that was the premise of that show too. Right. But then, OK. So let's talk about some failures. Like the Birds that- of Prey. Okay, I was thinking oh. Mutant X. Oh yeah, which yeah. I don't actually think I ever watched an episode Birds of. Birds of Prey. You and you love the comic, right? I Lisa? love the comic. I really do. Um, but did the, did TV... the TV show have anything to do with the comic? Vaguely, other than because <laughs> did the TV show have did Batman appear in the comic at any point? Um, His... Batman has appeared in. Oh, sorry. Or, I mean, not in the comic, in the TV show. Not when they're like, no, 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 don't nobody say Bat. But isn't it, but it wasn't the main person in the TV show the daughter of? Batman and uh, Catwoman. No, or what something? they what they did, and this was just it was one of these things where if you're if you're into any resembles a continuity, you're tearing out your hair. That's not how it's supposed to go. Is you have of course Oracle, and she's the titular protagonist around whom things resolve, revolve. What they did is they took the daughter of the Black Canary. The, the daughter that Black Canary had with Green Arrow and she goes into the family business sort of only she's profoundly ambivalent about it because they needed to have they, – they basically tried to set up the maiden mother crone do- dynamic with, with these three women and, and you have to have your maiden and that has to be the, the new Black Canary and it was just – Oh, here, rookie. We'll teach you the ropes of fighting crime in this city, and 
by the way, my shrink happens to be Harley Quinn in her spare time. And, oh, nice. Yeah, and, and it was just this – it was based, But, it, but it was, if it oh, works, so they could change everything if, it, if yeah. it worked, right? And the big problem was that it didn't work. No. Well, <laughs> one of the things that made – one of the reasons I liked Birds of Prey – the Gale, even the Chuck Dixon run, to be fair, but one of the reasons that Birds of Prey actually worked – was because you had a group of women who were professional colleagues and they had and they had to work together and the friendships were valuable but often secondary. Or, you know, sometimes the interpersonal relationships got in the way of doing a professional job. There was a brief plot point in the Gail Simone run where Power Girl has a huge falling out with the Birds of Prey because she doesn't like how she's being asked to work. And asked to work being uh, fighting crime? Yeah. Okay. Because Oracle has methods and Power Girl disagreed with them and it turned into a thing. And it affected their friendship as well as the professional relationship. And whereas this was, I think, like a WB series, so of yep. course it was basically uh, the. I, I think <laughs> it was in the, in after Smallville was a success, they yeah. decided they would do another DC. Uh, and it was kind of like Sex in the City meets Spandex. It was really <laughs> just yeah. And it was it was it was. It was less about the fact that these women saw themselves as okay. Clearly, I have the ability to kick somebody's butt or clearly I have the ability to find any information anywhere and let's see if I can make money off of that more along the lines of, oh, I'm so conflicted. I'm a woman and a superhero. However will I, however will I cope? And it was just bad. Oh, and, and it survived, I think, the better part of a season and then never – and then didn't. I don't even know if it made it a full season. It was it was a pretty early casualty from what I can remember. Jason, any, any uh, memorable uh, TV comic book uh, failures on your list? Well, there was – I mean the mutant X thing. So I was thinking in that serialized uh, Chris Claremont approach like, oh, the X-Men, New Mutants, that would might make a good TV show. And then I remember they tried that with Mutant X, which loosely I think tied to the comic Mutant X, which was a later spinoff of like the secondary X-Factor team yeah, with right. Havoc and And Polaris I think there was actually stuff. a – some sort of legal deal there where they had, they had sold the rights to the X-Men yeah. to a different studio. So right. they couldn't do an X-Men comic but they could – or an X-Men show but they could do a Mutant X show and then there was a lawsuit. Right. There was something weird and I never actually watched any of it but it didn't last very long <laughs> and was – You know, a mutant – Didn't work. A Mutant Academy kind of – Again, but it felt how ripe is it to have have superpowered people in a high school setting? Yeah. Right, but that's the, the I whole wrote, idea. I wrote that a hundred and fifty thousand word novel the, about that. Actually, well, so what's it's so super strange. Ripe. What's so strange is as a comic <laughs> is as a comic they've they've rebooted that new X Men concept a bunch of times, and then mm-hmm. Grant and then Grant Morris had his new X Men run where basically he took it back to the academy. And put all of the classic X-Men in the background with the exception of Scott and Emma and focused on a a new class of people. And once he finished that run, someone hit the reset button and – Isn't the problem with TV shows doing classic superheroes though, classic – defined as classic sort of superheroes Mm -hmm. style – is that actors don't look good in spandex? Yeah. They don't. No. So, so you have to re, you have to change. Only this is the why they have the black leather models suits do, the, yeah. but right. actors don't. No. And um, and that superpowers are hard to show in live action right. yeah. with well, CGI I, the, and, the, and practical effects. And so you kind of cartoons to, work well. Well, and, right. I, yeah. and that's why I think ultimately Joss Whedon did what he did with Buffy, which is like, mm-hmm. well, I can't really do Spider Man, but I could do this where they re, wear regular. What clothes if she can and, really and, fight? And she can fu- she can yeah. fight. She can kick ass, and that's what she can do, and that's her power. right? we're saying okay. that we like about the comics yeah. is that the sort of personal drama yeah. stuff Absolutely. that you can do the superhero but yeah. you have that as like an extreme background like the Smallville yeah. you know it's but, there yeah. but it's way behind because you can't no, do it what well I, on a budget because what know? I was saying was it's it's such a great idea and you know we're talking about the the, the new X-Men and and all the stuff, and yet for some reason it doesn't, it doesn't have traction with comic audiences. And I actually wonder if it's gonna if it would have better traction on TV because again it is more character driven for the most part, mm-hmm. and you don't have to worry about oh we're gonna blow our FX budget this week on a floating brain walking down the hall. You can just you know modify it to be right. Note to self: yeah. floating brain episode. All right, <laughs> well, yeah, check. And, and, the, yeah. and the floating brain flies in a zeppelin, and Ooh. then I'm there. There's a whole show: zeppelin brain, the adventures of zeppelin brain. <laughs> the uh, yeah. All right, so the other TV show that they talk about being in development, uh, The Sandman. Yes. Uh, it was Good idea, bad idea. I'm really intrigued to see how they'll do it because I've actually given this a lot of thought, believe it or not. It's one of those, you know, you're on the stationary bike and you start thinking, what would happen? I was thinking the only way to do it successfully is if you basically cut out every other trade because the way – no, because the way they wrote the – because the way Neil Gaiman wrote the series is, you know, you'd have a book where the plot advanced and then you'd have a book where it was basically a roundup of, oh, this is dream back in Shakespearean times or, oh, this is 
and then, you know, another book where the plot advances and then another roundup of fables or whatever. And if you can cut out those fables and, and one-shots and just focus on the story of a guy who's basically trying to prompt the universe into helping him commit suicide, then, then you've got your series. That's an interesting way to look at the series. Um, <laughs> well, that, that, you, you think about it. He, he, every step he takes over the course of the series is, is him doing something that's blatantly against isn't, his self-interest. Isn't the fear, and, though, that, yeah. that the show ends up being a Incredible Hulk-style anthology series? Oh, God, that'd be where, awful. <laughs> where Sandman has to go from town to town and collect his items. Well, again, and hopefully they would just skip that. And, and, would, and, and learns yeah. important lessons and but uses thing, his powers so, for yeah. good and the, then moves on to yeah. the next town. No, I think that's horrible. My, yeah, I think Sandman is about that, you know, you have to change or die yeah. and what happens when you make that choice. And essentially that's Because he chooses what he not does. to change, right. basically. Um, I also like the family drama aspect see, of it. So what you could have – and I was thinking that you know, could TV do that kind of like a whole different cast of characters, a whole different story every episode mm. or series of episodes with that kind of family drama on top or mm. in the background the way it is in the series? And I was like, no, that can't possibly be done. And then I remembered Doctor Who. Yeah. Doctor <laughs> Who does pull off having a completely different show – yeah. Or virtually pulls off having a, a different show every episode. Every episode, yeah. Um, so the fact that you know some episodes could be very little about Dream and other episodes mm-hmm. could be a lot about Dream or the family and that hopefully you wouldn't see the family very often because that's yeah. something that, that works well but only in small doses. And if this became like – Hey everybody! It's meet death. the endless. She's awesome. Do, 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 do. Yeah. You know, it would <laughs> it would be just ridiculous, right? But I mean, that that's where you get into it's more of an anthology series with a through line, yeah. which is right. better than a a standalone anthology series, right? Because it, at least you could, you've got somebody to track. That was that, and that's your premise of the Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it, except uh, there's probably a better modern example where there's a show, maybe the X Files. Before it disappeared up its own backside was like that, mm-hmm. where it was sort of a monster of the week with a through Haven. line of the Haven characters. Haven is doing that right now. Yeah, um, yeah. So it, it, it can it can be done, right? But also, should, should it be right? Yeah. Part of part of what the Sandman did well was take all those old. 70s or 60s DC characters and, like the yeah. Cain and Abel and use them, and I don't know if that would work in television, the way it worked yeah. well. There's I, yeah, there's all there's also because I was th- there are some plot lines that seem made for TV, like there's that whole. I think it was the Doll's House plot line where you find out that Rose Walker is the oh, – what is the word for it? Was she some nexus between the dream world and the waking world and when she has the right. dreams and she drags in everybody in her boarding house and you find out all of their backstory. Mm-hmm. Or oh, the, the ones – the Golden Age Sandman yeah. who ended up being the parents of Daniel who yeah. ended up being – anyway, spoiler alert. The, the, the serial killer convention would be a great arc as well. Yeah. I mean that's, that's just a great uh, – Story beginning to end. Yeah. Anyway, because it, it's just such a one. But could a it's TV such a great show send up ever, of, yeah. ever pull any of that off? I think the trick would be yeah. subtlety. You know, the the re- showing restraint in the stories. Well, well I guess the question I is. I want to say that. I, I guess the question is is, 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 is it depends on what the people who are making the TV show want from the TV show. For example, with Walking Dead. Well, the guy, the guy, <laughs> the guy who yeah. is linked to this is yeah. the is the showrunner of um, Supernatural. Yeah. Who is what I've seen is generally thought of to be a fairly stand-up guy who kind of mm-hmm. gets genre TV and, and mm-hmm. gets yeah. the source material. But isn't the thing, it was, Sandman was one of the reasons it was success, successful and interesting was it It was genre-bending yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. So how do you do that in a genre? If you approach it as a genre, I right. don't know if it's going to work because the whole thing about the Sandman is it talked about, it It in its own narrative talked about narrative and storytelling mm-hmm. and it was a story within a story and all those sort of things. That's so interesting to read and think about, but seeing it on the screen, it's a much harder thing. Also, to it's do. not exactly a linear story because even right? it, it does bounce back and forth. You get a lot of flashbacks to a lot of different periods, mm-hmm. and the whole missing brother thing. Oh yeah, well yeah. that's that's the thing is that when when uh, Dream and Delirium go looking for destruction. That's basically a, a, a Crosby Hope road trip right there. It's really it's a well, it's a really funny sequence, mm-hmm. and, it, and it would make a really funny plot line over the course of a couple episodes. But um, what is the me- you know? It, it depends. It could be played like three or four different ways on TV, and some of them could be great. But otherwise, it's like, oh look, they're wacky, ha! Huh? And now they found their brother who wants nothing to do with them, and he has a talking dog. You know, it's it's. I smell series. Yeah, <laughs> Delirium alone yeah. would make a great series because she's just wackiness ensues. 
See, I've I, I I've only read uh, the first like. So you haven't met the family yet. Yeah, right? no, no. The, and that's the, the thing the, that the, the family is so interesting. I'd want it to be used very, very, very infrequently. One of the things that Gaiman does really well through the entire series is he drops enough clues to keep you tantalized about some of these people mm-hmm. or characters, but he never gives you an explanation. For example, the youngest one, Delirium, was originally Delight, and then one day she turned into de- she was turning into Delirium. And he never explains why that happens. It just did. But it was a bad thing. Yeah. And and there's so there's this – it's actually reference where he teases the reader towards the end of it where she pulls her head together for a moment and asks her brother, do you know why I turned into delirium? And he's like, actually, no. And she said, well, there are things outside your world you'll never know. And that's basically a game in telling the audience, get used to it. We're, yeah. we're not getting all the <laughs> – and I wonder if TV audiences are OK with that because, you know, we're talking about a culture where people – Right. Endlessly blog and and recap shows to try to wring every scintilla of meaning out of them. How are they going to do if you've got source material that admits, hey, I'm not going to give you all of the answers because I don't think you need them. Well, they might like it because they'll then be able to project their own. Right. And talk about it endlessly on the internet about what it means. Yeah. Well, I think the producers of Lost spent the last year, that show was (laughs) on the air saying they weren't going to answer all the questions and the result was everybody yelled at them for not answering all the questions. Right. It's like, all right. Well, Well, that raises an interesting issue. Is, is, is Is a storyteller ever contractually obligated to give you all of the answers? Absolutely not. No way. Yeah. yeah. But, but some there's people this, will but say – There's this huge oh, sense well, of yes. entitlement among TV viewers a lot of the time that every piece has to has to have a meaning and has to make sense. Well, well it's because most of TV isn't yeah. challenging or yeah. – And they've been trained to expect yeah. TV to to, uh, to give it to them in this kind of comfortable package. Yeah. But that, that's All one in of 22 the things, minutes. Yeah. One of the things that killed me about the criticism of Lost – there are lots of re- reasons to criticize Lost. I think Lost was a great show. I think it was – I'm willing to forgive it its faults for the ambition that they had with it. But mm-hmm. the fact was – Narratively, they they were treating it like a novel and one of the things that great novels do is frustrate you. Yeah. The difference is if you end a chapter with a frustrating cliffhanger and then you see that the next chapter is about a different character and that you're going to have to wait multiple chapters to get back to the thing that's frustrating you, you can power through and keep reading. Mm-hmm. Whereas on TV, it's the end of the episode and you have to wait a week. And yeah. then if the, the first scene of the new episode shows you that they're not going to talk at all about what you saw the last you're week, all, what, what, what? you're angry for that <laughs> whole episode and then for the next and week. And you're carrying right. a grudge. Which, which actually happened on Lost in that last season. Mm-hmm. They did a whole episode that yeah. was just a flashback episode and people were up in arms and they had their torches and their pitchforks. See, this but, is but why you should novelist, just watch TV on DVD. Because well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because as, as a novelist, I mean... Yeah. Novelists, they they have to frustrate the mm-hmm. the reader. That's that's part of the storyline. It, it, you have to you have to give them what they them don't want. Right. Yeah. But, but that's actually one of the reasons why comics work different is a different media than television. Even though on paper it's, it's you can kind of think it's the same because mm-hmm. they both have storyboards, right? And a comic mm-hmm. is a storyboard for a film. But the difference in the comics is you control the time. Mm-hmm. And in a movie or TV show, yes. you don't, and that means different narrative choices. The, uh, which is why you know Alan Moore was always the Watchman is not you know can't be a film. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you guys have read right. anything by <laughs> have you read anything by David Lapham? David Lapham. I'm, the name is familiar, but he, I didn't he's done a lot him. of things. But one of his his best works is a is a series called Stray Bullets, which was his creator owned, mm-hmm. um, which followed some interesting characters and bad things happening to them. And uh, it came out around the time of Pulp Fiction and that sort of. Genre was was popular in media, and David Lapham's storytelling was very much had that kind of sense to it. It mm-hmm. started in the seventies. It kind of jumped all over time wise, but it was a group of characters it followed, and it was very really good and interesting. And he was approached by a lot of Hollywood to make Stray Bullets into a film because it kind of R and D, right? Uh, <laughs> Again, and he said no. That mm-hmm. Stray Bullets is a comic. It would only mm-hmm. work as a comic. I'm, I'll happily write you a film. That has this kind of thing in it, but not stray bullets. Yeah. Um, and he'd probably have a lot more money now had he done that. <laughs> sure. But uh, I, res- I totally respected that. He was like, no, stray bullets is a comic. It yeah. will only work as a comic. And it had to do with some of that time and how you can manipulate time and play with it and how the reader brings stuff to it mm-hmm. that you can't get when you st- – because in a way, comic reading is an active activity yeah. where television watching and movie watching is a passive activity. So, yeah, it's it's hard. Although Marsha McLuhan actually uh, broke it down differently, where he he differentiated between movies and TV, and I can't remember the argument for the different engagements. But yeah, there's when you're reading a comic, I agree that it's definitely more of a sense of you have you have c- control over how you can consume the narrative. Mm-hmm. And with television, you um, again, unless you're watching it on DVD, 
if it's you're waiting for an episode to come every week, you are at the mercy of someone else's schedule and pacing and storytelling in a way that that right. can be incredibly emotionally frustrating if you're really invested in it. So well, and even even in the uh, within the the confines of the story, you know, you can view at your own pace and take your time or mm-hmm. leap ahead, and and one second is one second mm-hmm. on TV. With they can do some compression, but they do the compression and, mm-hmm. and they control when it happens. Right. That said. You know, TV and movies are are um, vastly more popular media than mm-hmm. comic books. And I'm also the, the, one of the criticisms I would have about about that that statement about uh, well, you know, you can't adapt this is that everything's an adaptation. So it may be true, but if so, it's sort of true for everything. I mean, mm-hmm. nothing is that we talked about The Walking Dead earlier. The Walking Dead on AMC is not going to be Robert Kirkman's The Walking Dead. It can't be even 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 that Watchmen movie, which was about as faithful an attempt to right. to the source. Material as possible yeah. shows it can't be. It's not the same. It, it, it's impossible. Right. Yeah. So it's always going to be a different thing. I think what you take out of an adaptation is you maybe take some of the story points. You take some character names. You take the look. Mm-hmm. I mean, you take the storyboard. Sometimes a lot of the promos for um, Walking Dead are essentially like panels from mm-hmm. The Walking Dead, staged as as photos, as posters yeah. with live action characters. So you can take bits and pieces of it, but in the end, it's you know it's going to be. Uh, with Walking Dead, it's going to be Frank Darabont really kind of putting together what the show is, as opposed to what Robert Kirkman did with the and his artists with the the comic. Well, I was right. just thinking the most successful part of Watch More were the opening credits, which are basically staged like a moving comic when you think about right, it. Right, right. It's a montage. Yeah, right. Instead and of it's, a linear narrative, and it it works really, really well, and it has a real comic feel that the rest of the movie simply does not. So. Whether a property is successful going from comics to TV or, or film comes down to the choices the producers and directors and actors make in that adaptation. I, I would say that that's accurate, that, yeah. that it's, it is in the details and it's not about comics being fundamentally unfilmable or filmable. Mm-hmm. I think comics lend themselves really well to That said, I think there are some comics that would never, ever work as an adaptation. For example, I'm thinking about anything Alex Ross ever works on. Because well, Kingdom Come, for example, that would be just a horrible adaptation. I mean, well, because the interesting thing yeah. about Kingdom Come was seeing the future of all of these characters, and yeah. if you don't have any of that history, yeah. it's much less interesting. But something like Marvels, where you have, where you kind of walk through the history of, of a world with these superheroes, and they're like, "Holy cats, these people are emerging!" And yeah, that could be an interesting TV show told from the point of view of the photographer. Be, I, I was thinking it'd be a nightmare to produce, just because one of the well, reasons yeah. Marvels works so well is because again, you've got that beautiful Alex Ross. Painting and composition and and faux realism or whatever you right. want to call it, where it's obvious he's painting models, and how are you going to get that sense of hyper reality when you're shooting on TV? It would it would the just whole take... thing is filmed in HDR. Oh God, <laughs> uh, there um, a lot a of TV filters. show you yeah. can do that. You can do that though. Um, one of my favorite mm-hmm. episodes, it's in my top ten of Buffy, is. Uh, an episode called The Zeppo, and mm-hmm. the entire premise of The Zeppo is you're following along one of the supporting characters, and the main plot involving the hero dispatching a villain that's going to destroy mm-hmm. the world if they can't stop him um, happens in the background, and occasionally the, main, the, mm-hmm. the supporting character will wander into the scene where there's a giant tentacle and <laughs> attacking him, and there's a flames and yeah. things like that, but he's got to go over here and do this other thing. And it's great, and it works as a change of pace. I'm not sure whether something like Marvel's would work as its own thing because it is, again, so, I think, dependent on the, on the, the mythology and the, and, the, and the backstory. But, uh, you know, I think those are... Those the Alex Ross stuff. I mean, that is very different from yeah. taking something that that uh, those are those are very very different works. I think yeah. than most of the stuff that you it, see. In Alex Ross, it's also very you know it's faithful to the history and the 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 legacy of these characters mm-hmm. and stuff. If you go in the other direction and do more of the pastiche, your sort mm-hmm. of greatest American hero, uh, which takes the very genre elements and kind of makes fun of them and plays with them, mm-hmm. or something that does it with perhaps less cynicism, The Tick. The Tick. I was oh. going to see you, you which, changed the subject to uh, which is Which, which actually Sandman, worked really well with, all of, its, with all, all of its adaptations. Right. And that was a very, unsuccessful, action, yeah, yes. a very yeah. unsuccessful live action, although really good. Really yeah, funny. Oh, it oh was my successful gosh, in, yeah. the, in the, the way that mattered most, which was that it was good. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, it was and, good. And, and it had a really nice really visual style, yeah. which, which, which is important because that's actually one of the irrational bugbears I have is if you're going to take a visual medium like, like comic books and then push it to TV, then by God, think, think about how you want it to look. 
Well, and if you're going to do a show involving story. a guy in a big blue superhero suit, oh, you gosh. need to embrace the fact that it is going to seem kind of ridiculous yep. and, and Just push everything. It, yeah. And so with the tick – there's the you know the 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 robot that was built to assass the Russian robot Soviet robot built to assassinate Jimmy Carter and the pilot and you know, I must kill Jimmy Carter and there's a battle in an elevator and there's you know it's one shade away from being a fight in the '60s Batman series right but you know underappreciated half an hour played for laughs oh. but right but uh, but about the see characters. this is why I can never take Nestor Carbonell seriously as a bad guy to he be is honest Batman well exactly Batman he, he will always yeah. be Batman well to me so and, but yeah you're right that the, the Tick is an awesome example of adaptation, both mm-hmm. because from the book to the cartoon, to they the had cartoon, to adapt which it. Which is a great cartoon. Right. If you haven't seen it, it yeah. is worth for, for grown-ups. Get it all oh, on DVD. And, they, the, and put on the closed captioning because right. the closed captioning for the theme song alone is actually really, really funny. Yeah. And then and then they had to adapt it again for television. Yeah. And they have yes. like the same archetypes are there even though the characters' names are For rights different. issues, yeah. they had right. to change Captain, Captain Liberty instead of American Maid. And, right. And, and Batman yeah. Well, which is what a – Triumph well, he was over the deflator mouse, just, right? Yeah. yeah, deflator mouse to Batman. Well, wow. yeah. Oh god, that's oh, so that's great. such a great, just as many show. character flaws, but um, Latin. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, well, actually, another fairly successful adaptation, which is really under the radar, it was um, when MTV ran the Max way back in the early nineties. I never because that was just. I think I actually did see a bit on DVD of that. They, it, it was yeah. part of their late. They would run it on late nights. First, it was part of Liquid Television, and they just ran it as a standalone, bumped up against Beavis and Butthead because there's your natural constituency and um, but I had never read anything by Sam Keith I had just watched the series and then I went back and read the comics and was really very was, surprised at how nimbly he took all of the, the, the strengths of comic book wasn't that written by Mesler Loeb I or, don't know uh, and drawn by Sam Keith I don't know I just remember yes. Sam Keith being associated with I it. hear hundreds of incomparable comics listeners saying the answer Right. While they're yeah. listening, but sadly, we it's a podcast. You can't let us Go know. ahead and shout, guys. Yeah, yeah. Shout, shout as loud as you just shout I'm sorry. It was the 90s. Time. It was on at midnight. I didn't pay attention to the credits. So before we go, <laughs> I, have, I, I have one more question, which is uh, if there was a comic that's laying out there somewhere that uh, you would recommend, say uh, you happen to run into a friend of yours from high school and it turns out they're a TV producer and they're looking for new properties. And they say, hey, you're into comics. you have anything I should look at? Anything that we might be something that we could turn into a uh, – a sellable uh, kind of property. Do you have anything off the top of your hand that you would you would tell this person that you just ran into on the sidewalk, your your, your enemy from high school mm-hmm. who now is looking for a uh, a tip about about comics? You can think about it. Well, I think I'd have to ask if we're talking a limited run series or something that they want to if they want to syndicate your over six or seven. Isn't specific. They they they're just yeah. looking for anything that they can pitch at their boss so they don't get fired. Oh, I know. Sandman Mystery Theater, the 1930s <laughs> Sandman by Guy Davis and uh, uh, Matt – no, uh, Ponytail did the mage, the writer, important, the – Ponytail man. Uh, also did Grendel, wrote uh, – you guys are they're, – they're shaking their heads at me, people uh, who are listening to this. He did Gre- – uh, Ah, his name is on the tip of my tongue. Oh, Matt Murdock? No, no, wait, that's not right. No, it'll come to me. It's, <laughs> he can't write a comic right. He's blind. He created Grendel and Mage Just and now is writing uh, Madam Xanadu or whatever oh, for oh, DC. Oh, I've read Madam Xanadu recently right. too. The, that guy. Yeah, okay. He, I know who you're talking about, uh, but I can't. wrote Sam and yeah. Mystery Theater. But that is actually great because it's very – there isn't the superhero costumes. Mm-hmm. It's really about the relationship between Wesley Dodds and Diane – what's her name? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that relationship is so beautiful and amazing and told so – Matt developed, Wagner. Matt Wagner. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome, Google. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's developed so well and how she goes from this sort of you know, girl he meets and it's almost told from her point of view a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how she becomes a full part of this relationship in his Sandman. And, and it, it's a great series and I think it would make a good television show in a Lois and Clarky kind of way but without mm-hmm. uh but without terry without hatcher Superman. yeah that's what i was thinking exactly <laughs> yeah um so yeah all right lisa any thoughts you know i'm actually i would pitch tim hunter because it mm. goes back to, well it goes back to the whole um well it, it hits a, a couple of hot points we talked about which is one you're talking about somebody who is struggling with the slings and arrows of adolescence because you know over the course of the over the course of the series he goes from being this gawky 12 or 13 year old kid to being 17 or 18 years old 
and he has to come into his powers and he's got a messed up family situation that he has to try to unravel and there's a woman he there's a girl he falls in love with who gets screwed over by somebody who may or may not be Tim's mother and it could also work as one of those oh here's our caper of the week where this week we're dealing with fairies or this week we're dealing with somebody who wants to do the dark rites of Beltane in the public park or whatever and it would work again because you'd have the the overarching who am I wither wither Tim Hunter themes and you'd also have the 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 episodic here's how he solves this problem with magic and it could be cheap because you wouldn't have to rely on too many special effects because that's the problem with a lot of the superhero ones is yeah it's totally true yeah I I am um, I'm drawing a blank here I actually had a very clever answer to this question and now I I, I now I got nothing yeah. I was so blown away by your uh, by your answers that I uh, <laughs> I've completely invincible. That's your go-to answer, isn't I, it? I do love Invincible, but it, <laughs> oh again, god, the budget would alone be, would be a nightmare. But it would be that's the that's animated. Let's go with animated. Yeah, one of the uh, yes. It would be beautiful as an animated series because that's just such gorgeous art that they have for it anyway. If you could get that in motion, wow. So since I have completely lost the train of thought there, I'm going to shift gears one last time and and say uh, Clancy hey, Brown is the Viltrumites. Oh my gosh! Hey Lisa, did you <laughs> did you read those uh, those uh, Micronauts comic books I loaned you? I did. I did read them. What did you think from from the perspective of somebody who probably didn't read them in 1978? You know, I didn't. But um, if you had handed them to me and said, "Guess which year they were written in," <laughs> I could have. Um, I could have said, oh, this this would be late 70s, early 80s. Early 80s, just, oh, yes. just based on the art alone, which was a, a, a nice trip down memory lane. I get the feeling Go I... Go ahead. Destroy my childhood, Lisa. No. What I was going to say is I get the <laughs> feeling I would have gotten a little bit more out of them if I could have cross-referenced them with the actual toys because there's a lot of technologies that mm-hmm. came up and, 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 and many Although characters... Although not as much as you'd think. It, it, in, yeah. in the terms of a TV or a toy tie-in, Micronauts yeah. ended up veering pretty far away from the toys just because they were... Mm-hmm. It was pretty limited. That said, there were some pretty there were there were some things about it I really liked, such as the character who oh first he's a human, now he's a centaur, then he's a human again, then he's a centaur when he feels like it. Ah, uh, poor Prince Argon, his sense yeah. of Baron Cars's body banks. You see, yeah, and the body banks he's is a really into a centaur because the toy you could take the white yeah. horse and the and the guy and you could take the legs and, off the guy and stick. Well, the body the banks are a really cool idea. The idea that you have this rich overclass that basically has has guaranteed themselves immortality by taking serfs and you know borrowing their you know, using their body parts. It's it's like that novel slash movie that just came out, Never Let Me Go, where, oh, congratulations, poor people. Your job is to provide fodder for the decadent rich. Um, yeah, the mean the mean old uh, patrician lady is yeah. picking out a, a young a young body in the body banks, mm-hmm. and she picks. Sadly, she picks the name of the the woman who is the rebel leader. Oh God, uh, yeah, Toad or Spit oh, or whatever. Uh, slug, Slug, that's her name. Yes, yeah. yes. What a what a bad what a horrible coincidence there. One, yeah. one of the things I love about that is that what is that they set up this whole Star Wars plot and then they immediately blow you into Earth so that because it's like the Star Wars plot is part one. Yeah. Part two is they, but, but I they're, love but the tiny. sequence in Florida. So what if we make them tiny and we send them to Florida and yeah. there's that there's the, the the moment that really sets the stage about when this is taking place is that they knock out the power in Daytona Beach, Florida and a guy a random guy shouts, "I can't watch Donnie and Marie." Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> okay, it is the 70s. All yeah. right. But then it, it ends up with the NASA astronauts and there's the crazy NASA astronaut mm-hmm. who's part machine, who's yeah. got the Prometheus pit where where he and, can fling things into alternate universes, and, and Baron Karza comes out, and he's the yeah. size of a human, and and this is, it's the introduction of Captain Universe, which is thrown in there. I mean, it's yeah. twelve okay, so, issues, and it is insane. Let me let yeah. me pretend to be the voice of the audience here, <laughs> uh, who who those listening may not have uh, mm-hmm. read the Micronauts recently, or to say ever, ever, or ever. Yeah. The uh, is there any way I could get this fabulous thing uh, aside from eBay? Well, okay. So the best places you could get this, um, there's there's the right bit, to Jason. There's the BitTorrent. <laughs> BitTorrent. Yeah. If you want to pirate it, it's not actually available for rights reasons. I don't think you could feel too sad. And if you do, look for the Micronaut Special Edition BitTorrent. That'll get you the first twelve issues in their um, recolored kind of mm. very nice redone version. The, um, the, otherwise, the checker the like checker publishing never did a Micronauts. They took a lot of these. Yeah, weird I, properties I, I think and there's stuff no, with I them. I think there's no collection beyond the the five special edition issues, you, which you could so get on eBay. Would you say or then in a comic store for cheap? Because the rights issues are so muddled and nobody knows exactly who has the rights to do what. That that's probably means there's nobody to sue you if you BitTorrent. Uh, I, I would hate to. I would. We hate, are not lawyers. We cannot give legal advice. Yes, I would, I would hate to promote BitTorrent <laughs> on this 
on this episode other than to say that it is available, mm -hmm. and I'm sure those issues are readily available on BitTorrent. And it may or may not be true that one of them, uh, one of the Micronauts issues on BitTorrent was missing a page and that I scanned it in and sent it to the guy who was doing that torrent. Probably <laughs> not true. Probably not true. Probably, mm -hmm. I probably didn't do that. Page eight of <laughs> Do not try four. any of this at home, readers, <laughs> um, yeah. The great missing page, which I had because I have all those issues. Anyway, it, it is It is a I, – I, obviously, it's hard for me to, to take my childhood out of the equation. But I love the, the idea of saying you're a comic book writer and you've got these toys and you've got Star Wars is yeah. really big and make something up. And mm -hmm. for those first 12 issues that, that, um, that, uh, that, that they did – uh, Bill Mantlo, who had the crazy imagination, and Michael Golden, who was the artist on those first 12 issues. It's just – it's unlike it's classic. much else that I've seen. And it's funny because it could have easily it just, just been forgotten. It just keeps piling things on. But they've got revolutions going on. They've got um, – And as I said in they've the got, They've one, got you know, fratricide at the end of it. It's, it's – yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. There's the, the battle. I'm an albino. The oh, the shame of it all. And, and, <laughs> yes. his, uh, and his, his brother who was just was one of the it's, other – It's toys. nice to hear that the, the childhood – Keeping or uh, living up to expectations still because that childhood comic for me was the X-Men. Uh, and when I go back and reread some of those issues now, I just I, – I, after reading a few of them, I've stopped. Sort of and I will never go back and read an X-Men because my memory of it is so much better yeah. than the actual like X-Men 199 when Rachel became Phoenix and I just love it. And now it doesn't have the same – Wolverine saying for the hundredth time, I'm the best there is at what I do and what uh, I do isn't very nice. Like, to well, me, when I was a kid, that was like, ah. I think, oh, he's resigned himself to his dark fate. And right, now and now it's, like, yeah, it's painful to read. I, I think Although thing, Jason recently helped me find the first comic book I ever remember buying. Which was? Uh, X-Men Annual. X-Men Annual number five number from five. 1983. Ooh la la, Badoon. Where, um, they, Enough said. And they have, right. they have some, of the, some of the Fantastic Four get abducted oh, yeah. by the Badoon and so the X-Men have to step in and help out. Mm -hmm. Reed Richards is the biggest douche in that episode. Oh, <laughs> you're he, like, why he, would you the, save splash, this guy? In the splash, and that's the word I, I don't like. Can we like, say douche? I, I don't like to use that word but in this case that, that I mean in the splash page uh -huh. he's there with his with pipe. His pipe. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, and then on, Susan Storm comes in and pitches right. a hissy because he's ignored the dinner she made. And, nice. But, but the oh. thing that, well the thing that's interesting is I went back and I reread it as an adult and I could actually find the, the, the hooks in the comic that, that resonated with me as a kid. And honestly, I think the reason it got me hooked is because that's actually a comic where, where Storm and Kitty Pride kick a lot of ass like yes. from, from page three on. And so you can kind of overlook the fact that Cyclops is running around in a cravat and <laughs> I'm not making that up. Yeah. And Good times. And there's and it's it's just a really it, it, it frankly it's a stupid story, but there are parts of it where, you know, my, my fifth grade imagination was like Whoa! And well, going it, back and reading it, I could figure out, oh, that that's where it happened, or that's what happened. Here's the things about about those annuals back mm -hmm. from that period too: is that mm -hmm. you had a self-contained story. Yeah, it, it was longer but it did than hook the normal into other story things because right. there were sixty-four right. pages. Of, right, yeah. so you could end up. I, mean, I think it had backups in it, but yeah, I mean, yeah. it was it was because they also the president, the the, the 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 Xavier with his love affair with the princess of the Shar Empire thing was interwoven through it too. Right, but like, it, it was this? you could read it without, and it was big, and yeah. it was meant to be kind of a widescreen spectacle, mm -hmm. which I mean. To, to you mentioned Doctor Who earlier. It's like yeah. a Doctor Who Christmas special. It's right. like the rules yeah. are not the same because it's meant to be seen by a broader audience. Yeah, you have the thing wrestling thing. with with Colossus at the end of it, and nice. it's all yeah, very it's all convivial and mud wrestling Colossuses. No, they're they're, really they're, they're arm wrestling. They're, they're, they're arm wrestling. wrestling. Ah, and then Kitty Pride comes out in a bikini and distracts Colossus. And again, in fifth grade, I'm all say that's interesting. Yes, but yeah, right. I, yeah, me the too. Fifteen year old Kitty Pride in a bikini. Yep. Well, it was the fact that she could, that, that boys were interested in her. It was the whole right. wow, she can kick butt and boys like her, and that was kind of a mm -hmm. that was kind of a different message than the ones that a lot of girls receive with the pop culture they get, you know, yeah. right. in that pre adolescent period. So that that's right. It, the the boys' reaction to Kitty Pride was a bit different. Yeah. Right. <laughs> wow, there are women out there who wear bikinis around me. Well, right. no, I was gonna, I was going to say, wow, she looks good in a bikini and she kicks ass. Yeah. But, right. And she's my age. And yeah. she's my she's my age. contemporary. That was right. the big. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, think this is why you you will you will find a lot of thirty somethings and forty somethings who really like Kitty Pride is because she was our peer, right. our contemporary. People well, outside makes... of Joss Whedon and Brian although, Michael Bendis. Although, again, well, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I. I I love it when I hear Joss Whedon talk about Kitty Pride is because he and I have apparently had the exact same experience with the X-Men and, you know, 
that's the other piece of the Buffy puzzle, right? Yeah. It's Spider-Man premise with Kitty Pride as the lead, mm-hmm. sort of. And can I just say I loved it in the Ultimate Spider-Man universe when Spider-Man and Kitty Pride got together. It's I, one of my yeah. favorite things that, that Bendis that. did is, yeah. is make Kitty part of Peter's world in high school. Uh, right, and, didn't, and it wasn't his connection to her that it was like she was also Jewish. Yeah. And that was that. Uh, I've heard Brian Michael Bendis talk about that. that well, she's was like he had a crush on her, but it was also partially because she was Jewish. Yeah, and he yeah. was like a Jewish kid in Ohio or something. No, well, she was, and she was from. The she Midwest. was a Jewish kid yeah. from the Midwest, yeah. from yeah. Chicago, because she went back to Chicago in the the the, the See, yeah. actually, that's what I miss about comics from now, from mm-hmm. like the eighties. Is like we know. Kitty Pride's hometown was Chicago, and like any of the modern characters, you have there isn't that sort of level no. of completeness about them. Mm-mm. Maybe maybe it's there and we just don't know it. I don't know. No, it's no. not there. No, but that's that's the example. I mean, Bendis yeah. doing that with Ultimate Spider-Man, it's one of these actually very TV-like to bring mm-hmm. us back all the way around. Yeah. Creation of an ensemble cast that you you um, wouldn't expect in a comic book like that. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, Ultimate Spider-Man is really kind of an ensemble series now yeah. where it's it they, if he if he could he would rename it Aunt May's House of Wayward Superheroes because that is what that comic is now. That's and awesome. there's your there's it's your T V adaptation, there's frankly. Your, right, it's yeah. great. Yeah. I, I don't mind that, you know, oh yeah. Iceman is here now, great. Whatever. Yeah. It's like it's like that old uh, Spider Man is Amazing Friends, Friends. cartoon where they yeah. had the statue that you could turn and they had the swinging teenage oh, that was the best TV show ever. And yeah. All of that. All right. Well I think we've run out of, of time. Mm-hmm. Um and yes, don't use BitTorrent, kids, unless you want to download the Micronauts. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> until next time, I'm Jason Snell, and I, I will be next time too, actually. And I'd like to thank <laughs> my guests, Jason Brightman. Thank you. Thanks mm-hmm. for coming over. And Lisa Schmeiser. Thank you for having we'll me. We'll try to have you a few more times before yes. you have to be uh, – Try to bank some. Well, yeah. it might actually be kind of fun if I if I log in all sleep-deprived and, and, and oh, yeah, out of my po- head. Let's, let's podcast <laughs> with the baby asleep yes. until, it, until, until she wakes, wakes up. up. Right. Yeah. Well, they, babies are predictable that way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you, no, one, you no. can look at a baby and say, oh, yeah, she'll be down for half no, an hour. No. God, no. You know, it, well, podcast. I understand the whiskey works. <laughs> <laughs> parenting tips. Um, Again, not parenting. Stay, stay tuned for Lisa Schmeiser's Parenting Tips podcast. It will be a short podcast and then the authority. Until next time, faithful listener, goodbye. Hello, ladies. Look at your podcast, then look at the incomparable podcast, then back at your podcast, then back to the incomparable podcast. Sadly, your podcast is not the incomparable podcast, but if you visit theincomparable.com, it could be.